Okay, here we go. Verse one, it says this. Now it happened when Sembalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gate, that Sembalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plan of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So it was a setup. They're going to jump Nehemiah. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work. Come on, somebody yell that back at me. I'm doing a, come on, yell that at your computer, yell that at your screen. I am doing a, are you really? Not I'm going to work, not I have work to do, but I already know what I'm doing is a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Then Symbalat sent his servants to me as before, the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem says, I don't know who Geshem was, but apparently his name carried some weight. Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are building, rebuilding the wall that you may be their king and that you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, this is a king, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come therefore and let us consult together. Do you understand the discipline I'm showing right now by just reading this and not interject? There's so much in here, but we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Some say we'll get to it. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say are being done but you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Father God, we come to you today knowing that you have a word for us. God, you said in your word that, that you train our hands for war. God, I pray that you would strengthen every single person in Columbia, in Baltimore, online, God, to do the great work that you've called us to. And we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. No, that was a mumble. Somebody shout amen. You understand how long I've been preaching to an empty room? Boy, I'm going to have you shouting every three I'm joking, I'm joking. We're in week three of a series called Cancel Culture. Cancel Culture. And the whole idea behind this series is how should the church respond? How as we believers should we respond to this cancel culture that we're living in the midst of where if you don't say what somebody wants you to say or how I want them to say it or how I want to hear it or whatever it may be, you are... You're canceled. Week one, we were talking about, I'm so glad that I'm not canceled, that we serve a God of grace, a God of mercy, not a God of the second chance or the third chance or the fourth chance, the God of the 40th and 50th and 60th chance. I have a strict rule uh, that I never respond to haters on Instagram, Twitter, or whatever it may be. It's just not worth the trouble and I don't do it. So what I do is I respond in my head or I'll type out my response and I'll text it to my brothers and we'll have a little laugh because it's always a shady response. It's never a, a, a pastoral response. But that first message of God doesn't cancel people. You know, you also have the internet trolls and like, well, actually that's not theologically correct. God cancels people. You know, God sends people to hell. And if that's not canceled, I don't know what is. 
Well, for those IG trolls, <laughs> I will respond to that one. I don't know if it's semantics, and maybe it is, and it's a mute argument, but God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose hell for themselves by rejecting the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, no, not one. He has made a way for everybody to spend eternity with him. So has he really canceled people or did they cancel themselves by turning their back on? So all that to say, I said what I said. Um, so that was week one. <laughs> week two was there really should not be a reason to cancel people in our lives. The only reason we should cancel people is if they're inhibiting or blocking the destiny that God has for us. And if that's the case, it should be a temporary canceling. In other words, I'm creating boundaries for you right now. And if you ever get it right with Jesus and you ever get your heart right, I'm praying that we can be reconciled, that we can come and do life or at least ministry together once again. Today, I want to preach a message called, You Are Definitely Canceled. Not temporarily canceled, not I'm glad you're not canceled. No, no, you, this, you are absolutely canceled. And this is a message for those people that you feel like you're under attack. You feel like there's people in your life that mean you harm, that are trying to inhibit or block you or slander your name. Maybe it's people that are close to you. Maybe it's a family member or someone you called a friend. Maybe it's a spouse or a parent or a relative. Maybe it's a boss or employer. Maybe it's not an individual, but maybe it's an organization. Maybe you feel like your company is set up to kind of get you out the door, or political or educational or financial setup or whatever it may be. I'll tell you, as an African-American male, it's very difficult, especially in this climate. Not that this climate has changed anything. It's just exposed a lot of things. It's very difficult not to feel that a lot of people are out against me. At best, they are indifferent to my well-being. At worst, they actually cause me or, or, or desire harm or whatever it may be. Maybe the enemy that you're focused on is not a physical person, but maybe it's a virus. Maybe it's a financial hardship. You've been furloughed for a season. You've lost your job or you still own your business, but contracts have come to a screeching halt. But you just find yourself where you're in a position where you feel like you're under attack and you don't know how to respond. Well, I want to start with this. You have to understand the attack is not coming from the person you are looking at. Yes, the words may be coming from that family member or that boss or that political system or whatever it may be, but the attack, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we war against the powers of darkness. There is an enemy that is behind that attack. Here's the problem. He hides like a coward behind people. So as you're looking at that person that, that's slandering your name, that's attacking you, that's causing you harm, here's what I want you to get in your mind. Here's what you need to get in your mind, Baltimore. Get Sesame Street in your mind. Huh? That yes, it's Big Bird or Bert or Ernie that's talking, but there's somebody with their hand up their spine that is moving their mouth and it's not really Big Bird, it's not really Bert, it's actually whoever that is behind it. And you may look at that coworker or that boss or whatever, just understand the enemy has his hand up their spine and is moving their mouth, knowing what buttons to push. 
And we're not warring against that person. We're warring against the enemy, against the powers of darkness, and he is absolutely canceled. How many people would like to see the enemy canceled in your life? No longer does he have authority over my finances, does he have authority over my marriage, over my health, over my children. He, not temporarily, not momentarily, forever permanently crushed under my foot, canceled in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. I love in this passage in Nehemiah chapter 6 how Nehemiah responded to the enemy. He was up on this wall. He was rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. If you don't know this story, Israel had turned their back on God, and God said, fine, well, I'm going to remove my covering from you so that you can live a life, experience what it's like to be separated from God. As soon as the grace of God, the protection of God was removed from them, the enemy came in, kidnapped them, took the healthy ones to Babylon, left the sick ones in Jerusalem, and watch what the enemy did. He burned the wall to the ground. Because what the enemy wanted was not only did I take it from you, but if you ever look back as if it can be rebuilt, I want what you see to steal your hope. You ever had hope for a relationship to be restored and you cross paths with the person, they said something sideways out their mouth and it stole all the hope that you had? or you had hope for a business to be built or something. That's why it's so important as believers that we live by faith and not by sight. Because if sight dictates our hope, the enemy will guarantee that you see something that steals your faith. So here it is, Nehemiah, he's on the wall, he's building the wall, and the enemy comes and says, hey, come down, we need to talk. They meant him harm, they were trying to destroy him. And Nehemiah was able to complete what he was building in the midst of warfare. And I think there's three things that we can learn from Nehemiah building this wall. If you're taking notes, can you write this down? If you are not taking notes, um, yeah, write this down. The first thing that we can learn from Nehemiah is we need to learn how to protect our peace. Protect your peace. Nehemiah said, no, 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 what I am building is too important and is too valuable for me to come down. It says in verse 3, it says, so I sent a messenger to them. I love this. He didn't even bother to talk to him himself. He said, go, go tell somebody to tell them I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Not that I will not. He said, I can't. I can't come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you. In order to deal with haters, with people that mean you harm, with people that are trying to block what you're doing, you have to come down to their level. Come on, Baltimore. You got you to gotta come down. The Bible says that we've been seated in heavenly places. In order to deal with the drama in people, I have to come away from what I'm doing, come away from what I'm building to actually give mental energy to worry about what they're doing. Now, I'm going to step back behind this pulpit because um, I got something ignorant to say. I'm going to make sure there's something protecting me from you. If you have that much time to worry and deal with people who are haters, what are you building? What great work, as Nehemiah said, are you building? Come on, Baltimore, what are you building 
that you have that much time to walk away from it to deal with what somebody says or what somebody's trying to do or what somebody's trying to accomplish against you. The Bible says, Nehemiah's like, if you had a great work, you wouldn't have that much time. The only reason you have that much time is because you must not be doing, as Bayesian, Barbadians for you, you must be twiddling your thumbs. You must be sitting around. If you had something to build, you wouldn't have time to look up. What marriage are you building? What, what, what children are you building? What wealth are you building? What ministry are you building? What impact? What are you putting your hands to build? Because if you were building something, you wouldn't have the time that you have to worry about who said something in the break room, who leaked something to the boss, who lied about some report, who stole your car. You wouldn't have the time if you were actually building something. Because here's the thing, the enemy's only goal is not to destroy you. His ultimate goal is to destroy you. The Bible says it came only to steal, kill, and destroy. But if he can't destroy you, the second best thing is to distract you. He said, hey, this is what Nehemiah said, why should the work cease? Watch this. If Nehemiah came down and he ended up not being murdered in the ambush and he made it out alive, he neglected what he was building for the time he went to deal with them. And I find for so many of us getting entangled in all of these different warfares from the enemy or whatever it may be, you may not be destroyed or lose your destiny as a result of it, but you wasted a whole lot of time dealing with that. Here's what I love about the way that, the enemy, uh, that, that Nehemiah built the wall. He built the wall expecting the attack to come. In verse four, uh, chapter four, verse seven, it says this, those who built on the wall those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked on construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. So as they were building this wall, one hand they had a tool to, to construct the wall with, but the other hand they had a sword in hand because they assumed that warfare or that the enemy would come. I feel like one of the issues with us as Christians is we're surprised when the enemy attacks. Now, I'm not jumping on you. I'm, as the pastor, I'm often the last to realize it's spiritual warfare. I'll be in a situation where somebody in the family gets sick and they're off at the hospital and, and this building thing falls through and this issue and that issue and I'm dealing with 15 different things and I'm dealing with them as individual drama and cases, forgetting the verse when the enemy comes in like a flood and connecting the dots of if there's this much foolishness going on, it's bigger than just what I'm looking at. This must be the enemy. Nehemiah assumed that if he was gonna build the wall, the enemy was gonna attack. Hear me, you need to assume that if you're gonna build a great marriage, the enemy's gonna attack. If you're gonna raise godly kids, the enemy's gonna attack. If you're gonna build some type of wealth, the enemy's gonna attack. You have to assume the attack is coming. By the way, just because I know nobody in this room or, or watching online, definitely in Baltimore, nobody wants to be attacked, nobody likes to be attacked. So can I teach you how not to be attacked by the enemy? You, would you like to know? Here's how you not be attacked by the enemy. Just don't do anything. Just keep quiet. Don't believe God for anything. Don't speak up for yourself. Just accept the lot of life that you have. Don't desire to build anything great. Just mind your business and just survive. You do that, by the way, 
you'll still get attacked. <laughs> because the enemy will just look at you, see the image of God all on you, and attack the image. There is no way to live life without spiritual attack. So if you're not going to live life without spiritual attack, you might as well be ready for it when it comes. Tool in one hand and a sword in the other. Nehemiah knew it's going to come, but when it comes, I'm ready. Here's what we need to understand as believers. The weapons that God has given us to guard are not to guard what we're building. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart. Didn't say guard your marriage. Hmm? Come on, helicopter mom. It didn't say guard your kids. And I know their safety is in your hand, in their hands as parents, but it says, guard your, for, come on, preach with me, for everything you do flows from. I heard what the pastor said. He said, if I'm gonna build a godly marriage, that the enemy's gonna attack my marriage. I need to guard my marriage. Don't look at him, he's taken. You don't see that wedding ring on her finger? She's gone. No, I'm not talking about walking around paranoid and jealous and all that. No, 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 the Bible says, guard your. Heart. Can I say another way? Guard your peace. Because the Bible says it's out of your heart that flows everything. If you want to have a great marriage, have a great... If you want to raise godly kids, have a great... If you want to build wealth, it all starts in your heart. That's what the enemy's after. He wants you to have a bitter heart an offended heart, a cynical heart, a selfish heart, an ungodly heart, because he knows if he can get your heart, that he can get everything else that you touch. That's why it's so important that we protect our heart, we protect our peace. And by the way, not with a physical sword, that's not gonna help you against a spiritual enemy. The Bible says the weapons that we have are not carnal, they're not physical, but they're mighty in God for pulling down the enemy's attack Prayer is one of the weapons that God has given us to protect our peace. Worship is one. You know, I mean, this is how I fight my, wrong key, battles. <laughs> I like making fun of my own singing. But hey, how do I fight? I fight in my worship. I fight on my knees. I fight for my peace. God's word is a weapon. The Bible says it's a sword that divides both soul and flesh, that God's word is a weapon. The community of believers that God has placed us in are weapons against the attack of the enemy. And we have to understand, if I'm going to withstand the attack of the enemy, I have to guard my heart. To guard my peace. The second thing is just write this down. I don't just need to protect my peace, but I need to do my part. There's a part that I play in this victory. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7, it says this that furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. So as we read in this passage, Nehemiah was one of the nobles that were taken to Babylon. He was actually the king's cupbearer. And he was walking in the king's presence one day, and the king said, I have never. Here's a statement. The king said about Nehemiah, you have never been upset in my presence in your life. Something may be wrong. This has nothing to do with the message. Let me just give a side note. I wonder as believers, how many of our employers or our clients can say, we've never seen you upset? Destiny Church staff can't even say that. 
But Nehemiah was so godly that he was never upset or flustered. So when the king saw him upset, he said, what's wrong? And he said, my city is burned down. I feel a calling to go rebuild it. And the king said, go, I'm actually going to pay your way for you to rebuild the city. By the way, when God sends you back to rebuild what the enemy has stolen, he's going to make the enemy pay for the time that you lost. Nehemiah said, I'm going to go rebuild, but king, can you do me a favor? Can you write me a letter that says I'm permitted to rebuild that wall? Because as I go on about my way, I may run into some people that may not think that I'm doing it under your permission, or they may think that I'm doing it for selfish reasons. And if I have that permit to rebuild what I'm building, then I'm not going to be able to run into any hindrances. Can I get a permit? I have a question for you. Point number one was, what are you building? But here's my next question. Do you have a permit to build it? In this building uh, that we're here in Columbia, we moved in uh, in 2018. We've been here for about two and a half years or so. And, and there was a church in here already, so most of it was renovated, but there was some changes that we needed to make. I wish you could, you could show pictures, but there was a wall that was like right up to here on the platform, and there was a baptistry there, and all this was wood, and there was a cross there, and all that kind of stuff. And when we took possession of the place, I walked in, I was like, knock that wall out, knock that out, knock that out, move that out there, spread this out. I mean, I'm just knocking stuff down. I, I was happy having me a blast and walking through there with the architect and he said, great. And I said, when can we do this? And he says, it depends on when we get the permits. I said, what do you mean? We got the money. We bought all the equipment. Where's the hammer? Let's go. He said, no, no, no. We're not authorized to build unless we get a permit from the city. Because if we don't have a permit from the city and we go and we just start building, they have the authority to tear down everything that we've built. But we have to wait for the right permit because when we have the permit, then we can build according to the laws of this county. Y'all, it took longer to get the permit than to actually build out the building. It took forever. It would have been so much easier just to build without permits. Here's the problem if we had built without permits. One of you people that are always inviting people to church, you would have invited some city official. They would have come like, oh, the of God is here. That's so good. But where did that wall come from? <laughs> and then they would have had the right to tear down everything that was built. I have a question for you. Do you have a permit for the marriage you're building? Do you have a permit for the wealth that you're building? I'm going to have fun. Can I, get, can I get in trouble for a second? Sometimes people feel so guilty and so selfish for wanting to build wealth, for wanting to have more than they need to be generous. And here's why. Because they never found it in God's word. They never got a permit for what they were building. So they're constantly responding on people's perception. So they look at Nehemiah and said, oh, you're just building this wall because you want to be the king of Jerusalem. You want to have all this onto yourself. Nehemiah didn't have to respond to their accusations because he had a permit authorizing him to build what he was building. Before you start building, you need to get a permit from God's word. So I'll say it this way. Where did you get the picture for the marriage you're believing God for? Here's what I want my marriage to look like. Where did you get that picture from? Some entanglement you saw on TV? <laughs> Looked at your parents' marriage and said, oh, I want it just like that, or I want it the opposite of that. Oftentimes, the vision that we have, we didn't get it from God's word. 
We got it from something that we saw and not understanding that if you don't get the permit from God's word, the enemy has the right to tear down anything that you've built. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, by the grace God has given me, I, Paul, laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul said, everything that you build, be careful that you build it on the foundation that's already been built. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. You couple that with John chapter 1, verse 14, that says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14 says this, and the Word became flesh and walked among us. What does that mean? That this is Jesus Christ. That if you want to know who Jesus is, you got to get in this. If you want to build on the foundation of Christ, you have to build on God's word. One of my favorite preachers, uh, Dr. Mike Freeman at Spirit of Faith, he had this, this clip, uh, this, this message that, that I saw, and I'm stealing this part from his message. It's the only reason I'm mentioning him. But next time I preach that, I'm not going to mention him. It's now I heard somebody say. <laughs> but he said, I have a question for you. Where did you get your version of me from? Where did you get your expectations of what I should do for you, who I should be, and all that other good stuff? He said, if you did not get your version of me from God's word, I am not responsible for living up to your expectations. Because this is what defines me. This is what I'm responsible for living up to. Not what you've made up in your mind of what I should do for you. I have the same question for you. Where did you get your version of whatever you're building? Whether you're building your self-esteem, where did you get your version of self-esteem from? Of confidence from? Of, of ministry from? Because if it's not from God's word, it will crumble. Now, it, 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 it seems... <laughs> And if you, by the way, work for the permitting office, uh, we love you. We're grateful that you're here. And uh, if you could expedite our permits, we'd really appreciate that. But there's actually a reason why they have this whole permitting process. And, and it's to ensure that, that all the studs in the wall are the right distance apart and you have the right support and all that other good stuff. Because if they didn't have permits, then people would build any way they felt like. And if you build any way that you feel like, it can work as long as the sun is shining and the wind's not blowing. Come on now. But the second there's a storm, the second there's a fire and there's not the proper amount of exits, the second there's a flood or some, the second there's a pandemic, come on now, or a financial loss or whatever it may be, the second things are not easy peasy and rosy, it's gonna really matter the quality that you built with. Because if you didn't build according to permit, it can actually, the Bible says in Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What does that mean? means that if I've built my life on God's word, I don't have to worry about what storm I'm going through. I don't have to worry about what the enemy is throwing my way. I know, I understand that I've built it on God's word and thus this storm cannot take it out. There's a part that I play. Here's the problem. That takes too long. 
It, it took us like 10 weeks to renovate this whole place. It took us like four months to get the permit. It took longer to get permission than to actually do it. And I find for so many people, we get frustrated. I just want to be married. I just want to have kids. I just want to build wealth. I just want to have my own ministry, start my own church or a small group or whatever it may be. I don't want to take the time to get permission. So we rush out because we're impatient and we start building something even though we have a permit. Here's the thing. The goal is not to be the fastest. The goal is that it lasts. And for it to last, it may take a little bit longer to build but you'll say, thank you, Jesus, that I waited when that storm starts coming. Last thing is this, trust in Jesus. How do I withstand the attack of the enemy? Well, you need to protect your peace. You need to do your part and you need to trust in Jesus. You may say, that's just not deep. I need at least five words per point for it to feel like a deep revelation. Trust in Jesus, that's like Sunday school stuff. Okay, I'll give you a deep point. Really? Really, really trust in Jesus. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it says this. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. So they finished the wall in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it. And all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. Watch this. They were trying to discourage Nehemiah and they ended up becoming discouraged themselves. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. Baltimore, look me in the eye. I need you to catch this. I need y'all to catch this. Y'all with me? I need you to get a revelation that what you're building is not for you. That marriage, those children, that wealth, that ministry, it's not for you. And it's not about you. If the marriage that I'm building wasn't my idea, but it's God's idea, that means he's not just building this marriage for me to be happy or be fulfilled, but he's building this marriage to be an example to the world, first and foremost, of God's love for the church and the church's commitment and love for God. And then an example of what it looks like to surrender and to be a follower of God. In other words, it's not about me. It's about his will through me and through Zai, who's at Baltimore. Hey, babe, it's for Jesus. Um, yeah. So if it's not about me, oh, this is like you know the answer to the test that you haven't even given the test yet. If it's not about me, then it's not up to me. Here's the problem with our thought process about what we're building. We're building wealth, we're building marriages, we're building family, we're building a career, we're building our education or whatever, but we're building it thinking that we're the general contractor and you were never the general contractor, you were always the subcontractor. Come on, we're going with a flip or flop analogy. Come on, we're my HGTV folks. So whenever you have any type of construction, a house, a building, or whatever it may be, you have the general contractor. It's their job to make sure the entire job is done. But the general contractor may not necessarily know how to do the electrical work, the AC work, the, the, uh, the plumbing work, or whatever it may be. So they'll hire subcontractors. 
They'll get one person to do the tile, one person to do the plumbing, one person. And here's the deal. While that person is building a part of whatever's being built, they're not ultimately responsible for the overall building. They're just responsible for their part. And if they don't do their part, they'll sub them out and they'll find somebody else to do it. But the general contractor is the one who's ultimately responsible. You're only a subcontractor in your marriage, not a general contractor. In other words, it's really important that you give your all to your marriage, that your spouse gives your all to your marriage, but God didn't leave it up to you because he knows of my propensity to mess it up. That's why he said a three-strand cord is not easily broken. Hear me, I know you gave birth to those children, and this may sound offensive, but as their mom or as their dad, you are but a glorified nanny. Oh, that was, that was hard. Oh, that one hurt. That one hurt. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, but that's how it is because they're his kids. They're on loan to you to... S- <laughs> he likes you, but he don't trust you that much. <laughs> He's like, I'll give you these kids, but I'm going to look over your shoulder because you might jack them up. We have to understand. Psalm 127.1 says this, unless the Lord builds the house, They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Come on, Baltimore, are you with me? When I catch the revelation that God is the one who's building it, all of a sudden I realize that the attack of the enemy can never succeed because God has never started something that he hasn't finished. It reminds me of the passage in Acts chapter 5. Uh, Peter and John, they were, they were preaching and they got arrested and, 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 and the council didn't know what to do with them. Here's what it says. It says, therefore, in the present case, I advise you. This is somebody on the council speaking. said, here's what you need to do with Peter and John. Leave them alone. Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin... It will fail. But if it's from God, you won't be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If what you're building in your life didn't come from here, it came from here, from I I saw I wanted that, I saw I wanted to do this, I saw this, I just went after it, it's guaranteed to fail. But if it came from here, if it's the destiny that God's placed in your heart, if it's the vision, if it's based on the permit of God's word, you're not the one that's building it, he will. And anybody who dares try to block you or hinder you or attack you, the Bible says that they're not fighting against you, they're fighting against God. You know what that means you need to do? You need to pop some popcorn, go sit in your favorite chair, and watch how this movie ends. Because he's in control. He's the one that's fighting my battles for me. He's the one that is going to He who began a good work in me. Here's where we get confused. It's so in us that we think it's up to us. Missing the fact that, no, 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 he's the one that placed it in you, and he will see it through to completion. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. God, that you said you know the plans that you have for us, plan to prosper us, to give us hope and a future. 
But God, you didn't give us those plans for us to build it in our own strength. God, you said that you're going to do it through us. So that marriage, that child, that business, that the ministry, our health, our future, God, are all that we have, God, we, we give it to you right now. Just where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment. What, what anxiety have you been experiencing because you've been trying to build something that was never yours to take ownership of in the first place? What I really want to ask you is, who's building you? Not your marriage, not your kids, not your business, not your ministry, you. Have you ever given God permission, access to all that you are? Because the Bible says that's actually where life begins. When we say, God, here's all that I am. I give you authority to build who I am to be my Lord and my Savior. If you've never made that decision, maybe you grew up in church and you've been reading the Bible your whole life, but you've never surrendered authority of your life to him. Or maybe you've just never found yourself in this type of religious experience. Maybe you're somewhere in between the middle, but you know I have never given God full authority to build my life. If that's you, it would be my greatest honor, my greatest privilege to introduce you to a God that has been waiting for this moment. Right where you are, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender. I give you all that I am. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, I accept you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my controller. Have your way in me. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.